Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 1. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that we get to share in this worship this morning yet again. I am so honored to be able to share yet another word from the Lord with you this morning, this day, the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So last week I got to talk about the tragedies and challenges of American history. And this week, as we continue our studies in Romans, I get to talk about Jewish and Christian relationships over the millennia. Another fun, light, engaging, exciting topic from me to you. I always get the fun passages, don't I? In all seriousness, it is an honor to share from the book of Romans with you yet again, for there is so much in this book that God uses to teach us today. Now, I grew up in central New Jersey, and growing up in central New Jersey in the 1990s meant that you got invited to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. A bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, are what could be called rites of initiation into the life of a synagogue when a boy or a girl turned 13, a ritual of transition from child to adult. Me, a pastor's son, always felt a bit odd going to these sort of things. I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus, and these folks didn't, and, and that confused me. 
I remember reading the book of Isaiah, pointing to passages that clearly spoke to me about Jesus, but to my Jewish friends meant something completely different. I struggled with that as a teenager. Now, I wasn't Jewish, but I still got invited to go to bar and bat mitzvahs, and I always felt extra special because I got to wear a little yarmulke on the back of my head. I was an invited guest into a tradition, into a world that, while strangely familiar, was not my own. I was just passing through. But the best part of going to bar and bat mitzvahs was not the service itself. That was kind of boring to 12 through 14-year-old Henry. My, my friend would go up there, read a little Hebrew, and boom, he's now a man. Boom, she's now a woman. Now, we didn't have anything like that growing up in my Baptist church. No, sir. Nor did we have the incredible dance parties that always came after bar or bat mitzvah services. Now, we would party. There would be great food, and then we would get up and boogie on that dance floor to the beat of the DJ. Now, something that struck me then, back in the mid-90s, was all the old folks dancing, getting down with their bad selves. And I'm talking about folks in their 70s, 80s, 90s. They would be out there dancing like there was no tomorrow. I remember one bat mitzvah I went to. I was sitting next to an older woman, probably in her 80s, and this woman was alive. She was vibrant. And she asked me, little old Gentile, non-Jewish me, to go dance with her. And I took advantage of that invitation. And we danced and we danced me and this dynamic older Jewish woman. And she tired poor little pudgy Henry out. We sat down after the electric slide, and I told her I was tired, and she just laughed. I asked her, where do you get your energy? And you know what she did? It's something I'll never forget. She looked at me, she pulled up the sleeve of her shirt and pointed with her other finger to a space on her forearm. And I saw numbers tattooed across. She had been to Auschwitz, she told me. And ever since she got out, she promised herself that she would enjoy every day of her life to the best of her ability. I was truly a stranger in a strange land, but this woman welcomed me into her world. And then she pulled me back out onto the dance floor to do the YMCA with her. 
Christians have historically not treated Jews well. I've talked about this at church before, even leading a Sunday school class on the topic back, I think, in 2017. So I won't go into too much detail here. But we Christians have persecuted our Jewish cousins for having the audacity, in our opinion, of not only believing that Jesus was not the Messiah and the Savior of the world, but we also accuse them of being literal Christ killers. Christian theologians from the earliest days of Christianity into the 20th century offered horrific opinions on the Jews. John Chrysostom called Jews vile rats. Martin Luther wrote a book called The Jews and Their Lies. Some German pastors in the 1930s threw Jews who had converted to Christianity out of their churches when the Nazis seized power. And all of Christian Central and Eastern Europe in the 1940s turned into the bloodlands where Jews were shot en masse and thrown into pits asphyxiated in vans and gassed in chambers, their bodies then burned, so many cremated at once that people living near the death camps commented that it was like it was winter all year long, for you were constantly picking snow-like ash off your shirts jackets. The continuing existence of Jews is a theological problem for some Christians. If Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, why do Jews not recognize and worship him? Paul agonized over this question, as you can tell by our scripture today. In the very earliest days of Christianity, some Jews did follow Jesus. All of the earliest converts were Jewish by birth, including Paul, who often boasts about his Jewish heritage. But many Jews did not follow Jesus, not after his resurrection, and even now, 2,000 years later. So, what to do with the Jews. We ghettoize them. We force them into certain jobs. We killed them. It was only after the Holocaust that Christians began seriously to consider that maybe, maybe we've been really in the wrong here about Jews. Now, this is a sermon, not a lecture in post-Holocaust theology. But I will say this. When you imagine Jesus in your mind's eye, what does he look like? When I was a child at the Baptist church I grew up in, this picture hung near the entryway. Look at that beautiful, peaceful white Jesus. 
The Wall Street Journal had an article that referenced this painting just a week ago. I read that half a billion prints of this very picture had been made since it was painted in 1940. It was only at seminary that I began to see other depictions of Jesus as Korean, African, Chinese, Guatemalan, and Jewish. Everybody has their own image of Jesus that appears in their head, and that's okay. The Gospels purposefully don't offer us any hint about what Jesus looked like. But we can assume this based on the fact that he was born in ancient Palestine of a Jewish mother. Jesus was probably not very tall. He most likely was of olive skin complexion. He probably had bad teeth. He spoke Aramaic, probably Hebrew, and maybe even a little bit of Greek. But he wasn't white. He was a Middle Eastern Jew. He knew these words by heart and recited them daily. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Chahad. Baruch Ata Adohai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Praised are you, the Eternal One, our God, ruler of the cosmos. And for nearly 2,000 years, we Christians forgot that. We made Christ into our own image while forgetting the face of his ancestors. And we persecuted his family, his tribe, the people of Israel, Jews. I don't believe in collective guilt. As you know, I hold firmly that we need to be aware of our pasts. But I will say this. May God have mercy on us 21st century Christians as we live into this awareness of how we have treated Jews over the millennia. So in light of this, let's take a close look at Paul's words here in verses 1 through 5, and then I'll offer a broad tie-in for today. I was talking about this passage with Pastor Ray, and he offered this insight. Romans would make, would entirely make sense to us if Paul went from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord in chapter 8, 39, to Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in 12 verse 1. It would mean that Romans 1 through 8 is about salvation, and Romans 12 through 15 approximates to what we would call ethics. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't structure his letter to the church in Rome in that way. 
Instead, he recognizes that skipping over the question of God's plan for Israel would be like ignoring the elephant in the room. Namely, how could the historically chosen people of God have failed to recognize their Messiah? Let's listen to Paul's words again. And let's place ourselves into his shoes as he offered these words to his secretary. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who is over all, God-blessed forever. Amen. Now you notice that amen there at the end? That means Paul is being deadly serious here. He would cut himself off from God's love if that meant that his people, the Jewish people, could only experience God's salvation in Christ. I don't know why our Jewish cousins have failed to recognize Jesus as their Messiah, but I cannot hold that against them. In Romans 11.26, at the end of a complex argument, Paul asserts with the confidence of a Christian that all Israel shall be saved. Do I fully understand this? No. But I can say this. God has not given up on the Jewish people. No, he hasn't. God never gives up. Never, in any circumstance. He has not given up on sinners like me and sinners like you. And to again quote Paul, he is not going to give up on the people of Israel, to them who belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And if there is anything we can say about God, it is that God is a God who keeps his promises. This passage from Romans that we are considering today, Romans 9, 1 through 5, are some of the most impassioned, most agonized words of all of Scripture. You can palpably feel the Apostle Paul, you can palpably feel the Apostle Paul's heart bleed for his fellow Jews, his brothers and sisters of the tribe of Israel. But Paul is just echoing God here, who in Christ longs for union with people, the people of Israel, all people. Too often in our world, we divide people into strict dichotomies, people who are for us 
and people who are against us, people who look like us, and people who look different from us, people who worship God like us, and people who worship differently from us. Heck, it's 2020, so I'll just come out and say it. People who vote like us, and people who vote different from us. The good, the bad, the blessed, the damned, the redeemed, the retrobate. Look at Paul's words here. See how deeply he and God long for people to know Christ. But as we look at these words, let us remember what Paul said to the church in Galatia, that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male or female, because we are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we have that very same passion to see all as children of God? Can, can we have that same desire, the desire of God to love all of God's children? And if we do have that desire, if we do have that passion, what are we going to do about it? And if we don't have this love, this love for the people of God, why are we even here worshiping this Christ, this God, this God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God tells us to love God with all we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's do so. Let's do this. Let's love even in the midst of our trying, scary, dangerous times. Let us love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's do so with the passion of Paul with his people. Let us love those around us as Christ loves us. Let us do this together as a church, as the people of God. Amen and amen.